0: Hey everybody and welcome back to another episode of Serial Zombie Mom. This is Tori, your host, and I'm just going to jump right into this episode. I had to give you a little bit of a palate cleanser between um, Marilyn and this particular case that I've been working on. The Marilyn case I know went on forever. Um, four, four episodes is a lot, and I could have kept going and kept going. But I wanted to take a little break. Um, I was having horrible migraines for a few days and between needing the break for that as well as you know just a little bit of break off of Marilyn. Um, I thought it was going to be kind of fun. I hope you guys enjoyed the um, Beauty and the Beast and the Cinderella podcast episode. So um, <clears throat> I'm going to go ahead and just jump on into this case of the Torture Mother. If you have never heard of the torture mother. Um, then you'll probably recognize this as also the murder of Sylvia Likens. This is a rough one. So um, I'm just going to give you the trigger warning now. Um, and I will give you another one when it gets really, really heavy. Um, but this, this is a, a pretty rough case. Uh, now Gertrude Van Fossen, who is our main, uh, Person here. She's the one who did all this horrible shit. Um, so she was born on September nineteenth of nineteen twenty-nine in Indianapolis, Indiana, the third of six children to Molly and Hugh Van Vossen. Now, not a lot's known about her childhood, other than the fact that she had a very, very close bond with her father. Now, her relationship with her mother was a pretty cold one; was not good. And when her father died in nineteen forty at about fifty years old. It got worse. Um, pretty much in an str- in estranged relationship, it was not good. Um, she was only 11 years old at the time when she saw her father die suddenly of a heart attack. Now at 16, she drops out of high school and marries 18-year-old John Benazowski or Banaszewski. Um, I've heard it a couple of different ways. It looks like Um, but I've heard it said as Beneschewski, so I'm not 100% sure there. Uh, so I might, you know, I'm just going to call her Gertie or Gertrude um, throughout this because she went by Gertie. Now, John Beneschewski was a deputy from Youngsville, um, Pennsylvania, and they had four children together. <clears throat> they had Paula, Stephanie, John, and Marie. Now, John was known to be pretty abusive. Um, He beat her pretty often just for annoying him, just for nagging him, you know, just being a normal wife. Now, they stayed together about 10 years before divorcing, but Gertrude got custody of the kids. Within a year, she married another man called uh, Edward Guthrie, but After about three months, he realized just how often the kids were going to be around, that it wasn't a shared custody type deal, um, and he didn't like that very much. So, after about three months, he skipped out of town and they divorced. Um, Now, she and John then got back together and remarried again, only for about seven years they had two more children before finally divorcing again in 1963 when they were totally done that was shirley and james now at this point she's 37 years old um starts an affair with a 23 22 23 year old man named dennis lee wright dennis wasn't any much that much better than john um he abused her uh physically mentally sexually Um, And she got pregnant twice, losing one to miscarriage, most likely due to being beaten. And then she gave birth to Dennis Jr., who would be her last child. So she had seven children and had already lost six to miscarriage by the end of this. Dennis then abandons her and disappears, leaving her absolutely destitute, as he'd been kind of helping to support her and pay the bills. Now, she had to support herself and these seven children on very occasional child support that she got from a very unreliable John. So, even though he was a police officer, he didn't do shit to help his family. Like, he was pretty worthless in his own right. Um... And then Gertrude did what she could to, you know, do some odd jobs around town, like babysitting, doing laundry, you know, other little odd jobs, just to kind of be able to feed her kids and pay the $55 a month in rent that she paid for this little bitty place. Now, things were even more of a struggle when she finds out that her 17-year-old daughter, Paula, is about three months pregnant after a fling that Paula had with a married man. Now, it didn't matter how many times Gertie had told her, you know, you can't do that, you need to stay away from this guy, like, you're gonna get yourself in trouble, and he's not gonna do shit for you. Well, sure enough, when that happens, you know, Paula goes to tell the guy, and he's like, are you kidding? I'm married, I'm not gonna come and support you, I'm not gonna be in this baby's life, are you nuts? Forget it, I don't know you, I we've never spoken, you know, any more than me ringing you out at the convenience store, or wh- whatever he was, he was doing now, Gertie's health begins to dec- decline after all this. She had quite a few unidentified illnesses. And because of this, she ceased proper hygiene. She barely ate. Um, she just didn't wash pr- particularly well. You know, didn't take care of her teeth. You know, it just that shit didn't matter to her. I'm thinking she may have had manic depression. She may have had some other um, underlying issues as well. Um, She may have been bipolar, you know, uh, who knows. Now, eventually, this leads to a decline in her personal appearance as well. And before all this, she was known as a, you know, pretty woman. You know, not necessarily drop-dead gorgeous or anything, but she was pretty. Now, she started having a receding hairline, her eyes became sunken in, and she was very, very skeletal. Um, she was only five six, and at this point only weighed probably about 100 pounds. She was tiny. Now, she also started to present herself as Mrs. Wright, compl- uh, claiming that she and Dennis had actually married before he, dis- he had abandoned her, to give her just a little bit more respectability, reputability, um, make it not seem that her youngest was Ill- illegitimate, you know, that kind of thing. Now, in July of 1965, oldest daughter, Paula, meets up with a friend of hers, Miss Darlene McGuire. Now, Darlene introduces Paula to two new neighborhood girls, Enter, Sylvia, and Jenny Likens. Now, Jenny suffered from polio at some point when she was little um, and had to use braces to assist her in walking. Now, Paula liked the girls and invited them back to the house where they drank soda and listened to records. The Lycans girls, um, their parents were kind of estranged at this point. Betty, the mother, was in jail for the moment um, for shoplifting and had actually abandoned her husband, Lester, and took the two girls with her. That's when they came to um, this town. Now, when Paula heard this, she offered the the girls, you know, hey, I know we don't have a lot, but, you know, if you guys just want to stay the night, since you don't have anywhere to go right now, Just come stay the night. I'm sure my mom will not mind. Now, when Lester Lykens arrives in town after tracking down Betty, he runs into Darlene McGuire. She recognizes uh, him from the description given by the girls, and she sends him on to Gertrude's house. You know, this is where they're staying. Now, as a side note, we do know that the Lykens had older fraternal twins, Daniel and Diana, and then about two years later had Sylvia. Um, a year after Sylvia was born, they had another set of fraternal twins, Benny and Jenny. Now, the Likens were carnival workers that often sold candy, soda, beer, you know, other concessions uh, at the carnivals that they worked at. Now, the sons had to go with them because they could do the boy work. They could do the dirty work. And they didn't want that for the girls. So they sent the girls on to live with family members, a grandmother, Other relatives, aunts, you know, that kind of thing, and wanted them to focus on school and their safety. Now, Sylvia was known to be a very, very sweet girl, um, wanted to earn a little extra money. She would babysit, she would run errands, perform chores um, from friends and neighbors, and share these earnings with her mother so that they could, you know, make a living and everybody could afford what they needed. Now Sylvia was described very much as friendly, confident, and a very lively girl with long wavy brown hair, um, known as Cookie by her friends. Now when Lester comes in, back in, and arrives at the home, and he's greeted by Gertrude, they strike up a conversation. You know, obviously this this isn't the best, you know, thing for the girls, you know, they're in and out of their lives, they're having to, you know, go all over, well, why don't why don't you board the girls? They're already here. You know, board them here. I'll pay you $20 a week. I'll send it I'll send it every week. And that'll take care of all their expenses and help you out a little bit, too. So, they discuss this. Gertrude accepts. You know, cuz Lester t- says, you know, hey, my wife and I are getting back together. We got to go travel with this carnival and we don't want to have to drag them along. So, This is done. Now, the thing is, he sits there in her living room. He pretty much doesn't look in it, or he stands at the door. You know, he doesn't go any further. He doesn't go and inspect the house. He doesn't make sure that the girls have everything they need. So if he had, he would have seen there was no stove, no microwave, and barely enough beds for who was already in the house. Now, the only food she kept in the house was typically, like, bread or crackers, and her home was filthy, Now, she only had enough tableware for about three people, but had eight people living in the home, and now she's taking on two more. So that means always picking up something easy, something that everybody can eat, you know, or fixing very simple little meals um, to try and stretch and and feed to, you know, ten people in total. Now, after only about a week, which... That first week went pretty well. The girls started high school, um, attended pretty normal teen functions as well as church. You know, they'd go with the Banaszewski kids and Gertrude. Then that's something that Gertrude never missed was church. She always made sure to go and keep up appearances. Now, when Lester's payment fails to arrive the following week, Gertrude gets pissed She starts screaming at the girls, I took care of you two little bitches for nothing, and then forces them to lay over the bed with their skirts and underwear down around their ankles while beating them across their buttocks. Now shortly after this, the Lycans come back into town, they check on the girls, but nothing said about this being. You know, probably worried either that it's going to happen again or that it was a, you know, one-time thing because their dad screwed up you know, so they didn't want to say anything. Now the next week, Sylvia and Jenny went through the neighborhood garbage, collected old soda bottles, sold them, and got a little bit of money for some candy. Now when they come home with the candy, Gertrude flips again, accuses them of stealing, and regardless of how much they tried to explain what they did and how they went and, you know, struggled to find bottles and sold them for candy and, Whatever. She didn't want to listen to it. Um, she says, no, you're lying. And beats her across the ass with the paddle again. Now, not long after, the kids come home af- after a church um, event, like a church social. Oh, excuse me. And find out that apparently um, Sylvia ate a little more than, you know, what you would expect. Um, or typically accept, uh, at a, a church function. And the kids come home and they tell Gertie, you know, you wouldn't believe it was disgusting. She ate so much food. You know, it was, it was horrible. I can't believe she did that. It was like, she was like a pig. So she tells her, I'm going to do something to ruin your physical appearance. And she forces the girl to eat a hot dog way overpiled with condiments, spices, mustard, you know, all the stuff. Um, Then, when Sylvia throws up because she's had too much, Gertrude forces her to scoop it up and eat it. Now, afterwards, when the lichens came around again, they didn't talk about it or this event either. Again, out of fear of retaliation. Now, in August of 1965, Gertrude had overheard Sylvia stating to the other girls that at some point she had let a boyfriend um, feel her up when they lived in Long Beach, California. Now, Gertrude bursts into a fit. She accuses accuses Sylvia of being a prostitute, um, tells the rest of the house that Sylvia was pregnant because a boy uh, touched her in the vagina, um, and then she attacks Sylvia, repeatedly kicking her in the vagina and in the groin. When Sylvia tries to sit, Paula, who decides to start acting like her mother, throws her out of the chair and informs her, you ain't fit to sit in chairs. Now Paula at this point was just really jealous because here she was, she's started to lose her figure because her impending pregnancy, here she is about three months pregnant or more and she's getting bigger and bigger and has lost her pregnant, her her um her figure. So from this point on, Gertrude only really allows Sylvia to sit in a chair as long as she's had permission. Now, she was also allowed um she had also allowed the children to start using Sylvia as a plaything. A living plaything with supposed games ranging from beatings to pushing her down the stairs. Now, it's uncertain why this story enraged her so much, but it was theorized that, you know, she was jealous of the beauty and the opportunity for happiness that she no longer had as she participated in this degradation and torture as an act of self-loathing. Now, others suspect that her life and current conditions resulted in a mental break, and she would deliver really bizarre sermons to her children about the filthiness of prostitutes and women in general. Very ironic, considering that she had seven children. So she's calling herself filthy. Now, to get back at them, Sylvia and Jenny told their classmates that they had seen Paula and Stephanie having sex with boys for money. Now, and Stephanie's 15-year-old boyfriend, Coy Hubbard discovered that Sylvia and Jenny were were, uh, running these rumors, he came to the home and beat Sylvia senseless, slapped her, banged her head against a wall, and flipped her backwards uh, onto the floor. Gertrude then paddled her as well. Now, from this point on, Coy Hubbard, encouraged by Gertrude, made multitudes of visits in which she would actually instruct him, you know, go ahead and just practice your judo one Sylvia. You know, she deserves it anyway. They even brought in Sylvia's best friend, Anna Sisko, alone long enough to actually convince her that Sylvia had been running her mouth on Anna's mother, stating that Anna's mother was a whore. Now, when she saw Sylvia, she was encouraged to actually have a very long, violent attack on Sylvia. And soon after, one of Paula's friends, a Judy Duke, was told that Sylvia was spreading rumors about her mother and pitted the girls together in a fistfight. Now, during the fight, Jenny was instructed to actually punch Sylvia. When Jenny refused, Gertrude started beating her in the face with both fists until she finally agreed to punch Sylvia. Now, one time, Paula had actually beat... Sylvia so hard that she broke down her own wrist after putting all focus on Sylvia's teeth and eyes. Now she used this cast later to beat Sylvia even harder. Now there were constant threats that they'd beat that they'd beat Jenny but since she was already lamed by polio Sylvia took the beatings for herself and I feel like they, don't, they didn't really want to do that to her anyway because she was already what they would call a cripple back in those days. So they didn't want to, they pitied her for a better exp- explanation, I guess. Now, here's a little bit of a trigger warning here, because this is pretty crazy. Now, eventually it was a, there was a parade of children coming in, constantly coming in and watching what was going on with Sylvia. Now... This was all under the supervision of Gertrude. Like, she knew what was going on. She was allowing these children in her house, and it didn't bother her. And they used Sylvia as a dummy. They would lacerate her body, like, constantly cutting her, burn her with cigarettes more than a 100 times, um, and severely injuring her genitals in different ways. Now, entertain to entertain the teen accomplices, she forced Sylvia to strip naked into the living room and masturbate with a glass soda bottle in their presence. Now, she would do this a few times, um, and it was an act of humiliation and used to prove to her sister Jenny what type of girl Sylvia really was. I mean, ow, you know, for fuck's sake, it's a fucking glass bottle. I mean, ouch. Ouch. You know at 16 years old that's that's pretty traumatic now she was eventually pulled from school after stealing a gym suit now she did this though because gertrude wouldn't buy her any more clothes you know she begged and begged and begged she said she needed it for for school gertrude refused to because god forbid she lose any more money and so she's pushed to stealing this this gym suit now she whipped sylvia for this with a three inch wide police belt then would uh, flip the conversations to the evils of premarital sex. And then she would kick her in the genitals again. What it was about this mutilation of the genitals, you know, because regardless of whether you're you're cutting someone or just hitting them there, it's mutilation. So I don't understand what, what that was. Now, Stephanie ran into... Um, Sylvia's defense at this point, saying, look, she didn't do anything wrong. But Gertrude burns Sylvia's fingertips with matches and cigarettes and then whips her again. Now, a few days later, she actually whips Jenny with the belt for stealing a single tennis shoe for her strong foot because she needed shoes as well. Now, at this point, Jenny fears any repercussions if she tells on the family, so she keeps her mouth shut. She knows that she better not say another damn word. Now, in July and August, the Lycans would return to visit uh, whenever they could afford the opportunity. Now, the last occasion was in late August. They stated neither girl exhibited any signs of distress about their mistreatment. However, almost immediately, Gertrude would face them and say things like, You know, well, what do you do now? Your parents are gone now. It's not like you're going to go anywhere with them. They don't want you. So she was constantly like berating them and saying all these horrible things and making them feel even more worthless. Now they happened to run into, um, the girls happen to run into their older sister Diana at a local park. Now at one point they actually tell her of the abuse and that Sylvia was the usual target. However, they didn't give her an address. They believed that they might be. Or her, their sister believed that maybe they were exagger- exaggerating the claims. Now, back then, it was typical. You know, you would hear of children getting spanked. They would get, you know, what would were called beatings back then for, you know, misbehaving or something like that. There was a diff. There's a difference between getting your ass whooped for doing something wrong and being beat. Huge, huge difference. You know, big difference between discipline. And abuse. Really big. Really big. Like that's. (laughs) Anyway. I won't get started on that tangent. But anyway. Several weeks before this actually. They saw her in the same park. And uh, 11 year old Marie. uh, Benachevsky Was with them. And I guess Diana gave. Sylvia a sandwich. Because she had mentioned that she was hungry. And this got back to Gertrude. So she was forced into a scalding hot bath to cleanse herself of her sin of gluttony. Now she also grabbed her by the hair and repeatedly banged her head against the bath to revive her anytime she'd start to to faint. Because, I don't know about you, but if you've ever been in like a super, super hot bath that's steaming, you get very kind of woozy. If you don't just get out of it, or if you don't cool it out, you know, before too long. Like, you're going to get a little woozy. So, she probably passed out from the heat of it. Now, after this, a neighbor boy, Michael John Monroe, phones Arsenal Tech to anonymously report that a girl with open sores across her whole body is living at this residence. Now, she hadn't been at school in a few days, and the school nurse decides to visit. Now, Gertrude claims, you know, no, Sylvia just ran away. Um, I don't know where the hell she's at, but she's out of control. Um, she doesn't take care of herself properly, and she's an awful influence on my children. So, you know, with her constantly complaining about Sylvia, they were like, all right, well, we'll drop the issue if she's a runaway. We'll not say anything else. Your kids are fine. Like, everybody's showing up. They're doing what they're supposed to. She must be a little bit of a problem, so we'll we'll drop it for now. Now, neighbors, um, the next door neighbors were a middle-aged couple, Raymond and Phyllis Vermillion. Now, they purchased the home next door sometime in about August of 65, um, and initially thought that Gertrude was a great mother and even sought her out to babysit their two children for a while um, and paid her for these services. Now they arranged a backyard barbecue so that the two families could get to know each other and become really friendly. However, Phyllis noticed that Sylvia would be wandering around with a black eye. Paula, you know, 17-year-old Paula, who's a few months pregnant at this time, actually announces that, you know, she gave the black eye to Sylvia. And she announces this with, like, pride. Like, yeah, I'm the one that did this to this little bitch. (laughs) Ha ha. And I'll do it again. And then under the supervision of Gertrude, she actually approaches Sylvia with a cup of steaming hot water and throws it in her face. But the Vermilions didn't report anything about it because they chose to stay out of it. And it was normal to turn a blind eye to these things back then. However, the abuse continued to escalate. Now, about two months after the barbecue, Phyllis went to the Banachewski home to borrow something. Now, during this few minutes that she was there, she noticed Sylvia wandering around the house in a zombie-like daze with swollen lips and a black eye that was so horribly swollen that she couldn't see out of it. You almost couldn't see she even had an eye there. Now, to demonstrate how it happened, Paula takes out a belt and beats Sylvia in front of phyllis now about this time the incident was the incident with the gym suit so i'm guessing that had a lot to do with it now sometime around october 1st however diana the sister finds out where the girls were residing she comes in somehow she's able to get the address from somebody and she comes to question gertrude but is told, look, your parents didn't give me any kind of permission to let you come here and see these girls. So, you're not coming in here. And I don't know that you are who you say you are. So, go. So, she leaves. Um, and when she runs into Jenny later, she asks about Sylvia. And is told by Jenny, look, I can't tell you or I'm going to get into a lot of trouble. So Diana knows at this point there's there's a problem. Something's going on here that no one knows about. Now, due to the severity of the torture, Sylvia Likens becomes incontinent. You know, I mean, here she's getting beat. She's constantly getting kicked in the groin. She's constantly being you know being forced to masturbate with a glass bottle, like all these horrible, horrible things she's, she's going through. How in the hell is she is expected? To hold her bladder. You know. Now she's constantly denied any access to the bathroom. And is forced to wet herself. Since she's not given that opportunity. Now sometime around October 6th. She's actually thrown down into the basement. And kept there often. Naked and rarely fed. She's often deprived of water. Now most times she's actually tied to a rail of the stairs. With her feet barely touching the ground. Now the neighborhood children would be charged about five cents apiece to see the display of her body and to humiliate, beat, scald, burn, and mutilate her. So for five cents, they could go down there and contribute to it. Now, one of the reasons that they didn't say anything, because then it was, all right. you know, by paying this and by coming in here, you're part of this, so if somebody finds out about this, you're going to get in trouble too. So, they tended to help. These kids would come in, and they would tend to help. They would restrain her, gag her, um, before placing her in a bathtub of scalding water and rub salt in the wounds. Now, she was consistently called a dirty girl by Gertrude. And then the kids, of course, started calling her this as well. Now, during this time in the basement, 14-year-old Ricky Hobbs becomes Gertrude's personal assistant, for lack of a better term. And it's kind of unfortunate because we find out that, you know, initially he had a little bit of a crush on Sylvia and he really liked her. So he comes in and somehow Gertie's gotten her, you know, claws on him and, and is forcing him to get involved in all this as well. Now Hobbs is an honor student. He has no previous troubles um, and unfortunately blindly followed whatever orders were given to him by Gertrude. When Sylvia was allowed to eat, It was really bizarre, like, you know, eat soup with your fingers or, you know, yeah, you can have um, this piece of meat or whatever, but you've got to eat it, you know, with a spoon or, I mean, it would be something really stupid. Um, Now, Gertrude and her son, John, would force her to clean the basement. By making her... And again, I'm going to insert a little bit of a trigger warning here. They made her consume her own feces. So at this point, Sylvia gives her a container. And says, this is for you to piss in. And you get thirsty? That's what you're going to drink. It's pretty fucking disgusting. I mean... I don't know. Like, I couldn't imagine forcing my worst enemy to do something like that. That's, I mean, that's pretty sick. Now, there were even times that someone could have saved her. So, we find out that Judy Duke, um, who was the second girl that supposedly um, Sylvia had said the mother was a whore, um, she finally goes and says, Mom, you know, the shit's happening. Like, they're beating the hell out of this girl. And she says... Look, you mind your business because that's what happens to people when they get punished. Mind your business it's not it's not our business. What her mother didn't realize was just how bad this abuse was, exactly what was going on because she gave that generalized look they're beating her and kicking her. You know she didn't say they're torturing her and cutting her, and you know that kind of thing now also. The Reverend Roy Julian, um, who was their reverend at their church, visited as a way to kind of try and help Sylvia to be a, quote-unquote, better girl. To um, help her from being a troubled girl. And, you know, yeah, she's been a, a bad influence. Well, let me see if I can get through to her. But Gertrude says, well, she's not here right now, but... You know, let's pray, and they prayed for her salvation. And um, he fer- he returned a few weeks later, um, and she said, you know, no, she ran away. She's not here. Now this was about the time that Diana had come back to try and see her sisters, but when she was not allowed in, you know, she con- t- contact social services. Now it turns out that the girls were threatened to lie to the social worker, and this case was dropped. Now, on one occasion, Gertrude and her 12-year-old son, John, uh, rub urine and feces from Gertrude's one-year-old son, Dennis Jr.'s diaper, into Sylvia's mouth. This is before they give her a cup half filled with water and stating the water was all that she would receive for the day, um, so she better only have it sparingly. As Shortly after being ordered to the basement, we find out that Gertrude shouted for Sylvia to return to the kitchen, then ordered her to strip naked before pro- proclaiming to her, look, you've branded my-, branded my daughters as whores, and now I'm going to brand you. She actually begins to carve the words, I'm a prostitute and proud of it, into Lycan's abdomen with a heated needle. When Gertrude was able to finish the branding, she instructed one of the neighborhood children, which was 14-year-old Ricky Hobbs, to finish etching the words into Sylvia's flesh as she, as she took Jenny to a nearby grocery store. In what, what Ricky Hobbs would later insist were short, light etchings he continued to brand the text into her abdomen as she clenched her teeth, screamed, and moaned. Now, both Hobbes and 10-year-old Shirley uh, Benachevsky then led Sylvia back to the basement where each one of them, each one of them proceeds to use an anchor bolt in an attempt to burn the letter S beneath Sylvia's left breast They also apply, um, they apply one section of this backwards and the scar actually, instead of resembling an S that would have been for either slave or for Sylvia, it unfortunately turned it around and made it look more like a three. Now, later that day, Likens was forced to display the carving to neighborhood children, Now, with Gertrude claiming that she had um, uh, received this inscription at a sex party, (sighs) maybe I read that wrong. So, she forces Sylvia to to show this off and say, you know, hey, I got this at a a sex party. Um, You know, I let all these guys put it in me, you know, and this is... This is what I am. Now that night, Sylvia confides to her sister and says, Jenny, I know you don't want me to die, but I'm going to die. I can tell it. So she tells her, I know I'm going to die this way. Like, if this doesn't stop, I'm going to die. Now, Unfortunately, the following day, Gertrude Banachevsky woke Sylvia. Gertrude inexplicably goes down into the basement, brings Sylvia upstairs, And allows her to sleep in one of the beds. She was allowed to sleep till probably around noontime the next day. And uh, that was October 23rd. When Gertrude woke her. And once she was awake. Gertrude and Stephanie take her into the bathroom. And they give her a warm, comfortable, soapy bath. But after this bath, things change again. They force her to write a letter as she dictates the contents which were intended to mislead the parents into believing that she had run away from the Banaszewskis and that it was intended to frame a group of anonymous boys for extensively abusing and mutilating her after she had initially agreed to, agreed to engage in some sort of sexual relations with them before inflicting the extreme abuse and torture on her body. Now, after Sylvia wrote this letter, Gertrude finishes formulating her plan to have John and Jenny blindfold her and take her to a wooded area known as Jimmy's Forest and just leave her there to die. Now, after she had finished writing the letter, They changed their idea on that. You know, no, that's obviously not going to work. And she is then, again, tied to the stair railing and forced to eat nothing but crackers. Um, However, she refuses them and says, you know, give it to the dog. I don't want it. The dog can use it more than I can. Now, in response to this, Gertie's obviously pissed. She forces the crackers into Lycan's mouth. And then she and John beat her. Especially around the stomach area, where she's still hurting, her stomach's still branded by all this shit, and probably starting to get infected. And then the following day, October 24th, um, Gertrude comes into the basement, attempts to bludgeon Sylvia. At first she tried to hit her with a chair, missed, and it broke against the wall. Then she tried with the head of a paddle, swung it in such a wide arc that it came back against her own damn face, blackening her eye. Now, to stop this strange show, Hubbard steps in and beats Sylvia unconscious with a broomstick. Now, over the course of that night and into the morning hours of October 25th, Sylvia beat the basement floor with the scoop portion of an iron shovel. Next-door neighbors would later report that they had considered calling the police because of all the commotion, but chose not to because it wasn't their business. Pretty sad that it was another way that someone could have at least maybe helped her. By the morning of October 26th, Sylvia was unable to either speak intelligibly or correctly coordinate the movement of her limbs. Gertrude Gertrude did move lichens into the kitchen, and having propped her up against the back of the wall, attempted to feed her a donut and a glass of milk. Although she threw Sylvia to the floor in frustration when... Likens was unable to correctly move the glass of milk to her lips and returned her to the basement. Now, shortly after this, Sylvia becomes absolutely delirious. She moans and mumbles, and when Paula tries to come in and help, she asks her to recite the alphabet. Now, Sylvia is unable to recite anything beyond the first four letters or even raise herself off the ground. In response, Paula starts to verbally threaten her, stand up, or she'd, you know, jump on her, she'd, you know, hurt her again. Now, Gertie then orders Sylvia, who had shit herself, to clean herself up. That afternoon, several several of Sylvia's other tormentors gather in the basement. She is jerkingly moved, um, jerkingly moving her arms in an apparent attempt to point to the faces of the tormentors that she could recognize, making statements such as, You're Ricky. You're Gertie. And Gertrude starts saying, Shut up, you know who I am. Now, minutes later, Sylvia unsuccessfully attempts to bite into a rotten pear that she had been given, given to eat, stating that she can feel the looseness of her teeth. Now, upon hearing this, Jenny replies, Don't you remember, Sylvia? Your front tooth was knocked out when you were seven. Jenny then left Sylvia in the basement to perform gardening chores for neighbors in hopes of earning some spending money. Jenny didn't know what else to do. Like, she's like, come on, you've got to remember, like, this... This happened ages ago. Like, you don't remember these things? Like, it's it's sad. She had been beat so much that she had lost cognitive ability. Now, in an attempt to wash her, a laughing John sprays her with a garden hose brought to the house that afternoon by Randy Leppard, who is another um, one of the kids that would come in. And would do this at Gertie's request. Now Sylvia again desperately attempted to exit the basement, but collapsed before she could even reach the stairs. In a response to this effort, Gertie stamped upon her head, before standing and staring at her for several moments. Shortly after five thirty in the afternoon, Richard or Ricky Hobbs returned to the Banachevsky residence and proceeded to the basement. He slipped on the wet stairs and fell heavily to the floor of the basement to be confronted with the sight of Stephanie crying and cuddling Sylvia's emaciated and lacerated body after she had been ordered by her mother to go down and clean Sylvia. Stephanie and Ricky then decide to give her a warm soapy bath and dress her in new clothes. They then lay her on the mattress in one of the bed on a mattress in one of the bedrooms as Sylvia muttered her final wish that her daddy was here and that Stephanie would take her home. Stephanie turned to the younger sister, Shirley, who's about uh, 10 at this age, at t- this time, and says, ah, she'll be all right. She'll be all right. Don't worry about it. When Stephanie realized that Lycans was not breathing, she attempted to apply mouth-to-mouth and do CPR. At this point, Gertie comes in, she's shouting, you know, nah, she's faking it, whatever, she'll be fine in a little bit. She's, she's screwing around, you know, that's not, she's fine. Sylvia was 16 year olds when she succumbed to her in- injuries. <coughs> Gertrude instructed her children at this point to take the body to the basement and strip it naked. She then told Ricky Hobbs to go to a nearby payphone, call the police, and that was to be it. She didn't have her own phone in the '60s, and she didn't have her phone have, have a phone. They were that destitute. When the police arrived, Beneschewski gives them letter the letter that she had made Sylvia dictate. In the midst of the commotion, Jenny whispers to one of the police, If you get me the hell out of here, I will tell you everything. Now, this statement, combined with the police's discovery of Sylvia's body in the basement, prompted the officers to arrest Gertrude benichewski Paula, Stephanie, John, Ricky Hobbs, Coy Hubbard, for her murder. Other neighborhood children present at the time were Mike Monroe, Randy Lepper, Judy Duke, and Anna Sisko, and they were arrested for injury to a person. Gertrude Benachevsky and her children, as well as Ricky and Coy Hubbard, were held without bail pending their trials. Charges against Cisco Duke, Monroe, and Leper were dismissed. And Stephanie's lawyer got her a separate trial before it was able to begin. Um, the district attorney dropped the murder charges. I think with Stephanie, she was not as involved. Um, I think she had a little more of a social life. I think she was the one that was a little more... Um, outgoing and accepted by society and so therefore she wasn't home as much um and she tended to the other kids a little bit more um so i think as far as her doing a lot of this i think she was present for some of it she knew what was going on but i don't think she um from my understanding was as much of the torment as all of the other children. Now, meanwhile, an autopsy of Sylvia Likens turned up over 100 cigarette burns on her body, in addition to various second and third degree burns, severe bruising, muscle and nerve damage. In her death throes, Sylvia bit her through her lips nearly severing each of them. Her vaginal cavity cavity was nearly swollen shut, although an examination to the canal determined that her hymen was still intact, largely discrediting, along with a lack of any ripping or tearing to the rectum. Um, Gertrude's assertions that she was a prostitute and completely disproved Her insistence that Sylvia was pregnant. Now the official cause of death was brain swelling, internal hemorrhage of the brain, and shock. You've got to think this stuff was going on to this girl for months. Months upon months of just horrific beatings. Burning, just to go through that, I can't imagine to go through that much pain. Now, in the case of st- the state of Indiana versus Gertrude Benichevsky, John benichevsky Paula benichevsky Ricky Hobbs, and Coy Hubbard, this case commenced on in May of 1966. The prosecution sought, sought the death penalty for all invo- involved, including John and Hobbs, who were 13 and 14 at the time, Excuse me. Paula's time in court was interrupted when she was rushed to the hospital to give birth to the child that she and her mother had insisted she she wasn't carrying. In a show of solidarity, Paula names the child Gertrude. After that horrible, horrible woman. Now Benachevsky and the children's cases were exacerbated by the fact that they were being represented by four different eternities. One for Banacheski, one for Paula, one for Hobbs, and one for Coy and John, all of whom worked against each other in in an attempt to shift the blame between each and every one of them. So, Gertie would say, no, it wasn't me, it was all the kids. Um, Paula would say, it was everybody else, I was just around, I didn't do it, Um, so on and so forth. That's kind of what they were trying to do. Um, you know, regardless of being all tried together, they were pu- putting the blame on each other. Now, Banachewski's attorney attempted to shift the blame to the children, per- portraying her as weak, chronically ill, incapable of preventing or perpetuating perpetuating any of the abuse. Um, the children's attorneys attempted to shift the blame to Gertrude Banachewski and the other children. Now, some of the most damaging te- testimony against. Gertrude Banachevsky was due to her own self-incrimination. She recounted bizarre tales of Sylvia Likens being a neighborhood prostitute, and of her trysts in the middle with middle-aged married men, as well as accusing her of frequently starting fights in the home. To corroborate Banachevsky's testimony, eleven-year-old Marie was called to the stand. Now, initially, Marie backed up everything her mother had said until, during the cross-examination when suddenly she screams, God help me, before admitting everything that she had said was a lie. Now, by this point, after she screams, God help me, she decides that she's just going to go ahead and say everything was a lie. She went on to recount, in very graphic and blunt detail, how her mother and her siblings had tortured and murdered Sylvia. Marie... And her turn against her own family was largely responsible for the eventual, eventual verdict. Gertrude Banachevsky was found guilty of murder in the first degree, and to the shock of the citizens of Indianapolis, she did not receive the death penalty, but rather life imprisonment without the possibility of parole. Paula Banachevsky was convicted of second degree murder. She appealed and was granted a new trial, but before it began, she struck a plea bargain and pled guilty to voluntary manslaughter. Now, she served three years in prison and then was paroled. John Banachevsky, Coy Hubbard, and Ricky Hobbs were each convicted of voluntary manslaughter and sentenced to 18 months in juvenile detention. By the time the now 17-year-old's 17-year-old Hobbs was released and severity of his crimes had sunk in, he suffered a nervous breakdown. He began a regimen of heavy chain-smoking which had severely decayed his lungs by the time he was 20. And by the time he was 21, died of lung cancer. Gertrude Banachevsky appeals and is granted a new trial but again found guilty, though this time she was only sentenced to 18 years to life. Over the course of the next 18 years, Gertrude Banachewski becomes a model prisoner, working in the sewing shop, becoming a den mother to the younger female inmates, and by the time she came up for parole in 1985, she earned the prison nickname Mom. The news of Gertrude Banachewski's parole hearing sent shockwaves through Indiana and through their community. Jenny and her family appeared on a television um, series to speak out about the Banachevskys. <clears throat> the members of um, two anti-crime groups, Protect the Innocent and the Soci- Society's League Against Molestation, traveled to Indiana to oppose the parole and support the Lycans family beginning a sidewalk picket, excuse me, picket campaign. Now, over the course of two months, the groups collected 4,500 signatures from the citizens of Indiana, demanding that Banachewski be kept behind bars. In spite of all this, she was granted parole. Even though she should have served life in prison or got the death penalty, the bitch got out in 85. And during this hearing, she gives the following confession. And she says, and I quote, I'm not sure what role I had in it. Because I was on drugs, I never really knew her. I take full responsibility for whatever happened to Sylvia. Gertrude Banachevsky walks out of prison on December 4th, 1985, travels to Iowa under the na- da- name Nadine Van Fossen, but thankfully died five years later of lung cancer in 1990. The fates of the Banachevsky children remain pretty unknown. Um, we do know that Bala, or Paula moved to Iowa under another a new name. Um, internet rumors say that she's still alive and that she lives on a farm somewhere in Iowa. Uh, Stephanie Banachevsky became a school teacher under a new assumed name. John Banachevsky changed his name to John Blake and worked as a truck driver before becoming a real estate agent and lay minister he was never arrested again now he married he had three children and has lived in anonymity uh, only surfacing briefly in 98 in the in the wake of the Jones- jonesboro massacre to speak for the first time about the lykins murder saying that he took full responsibility for his role in the murder and that a harsher sentence should have been more just that he deserved worse than what he got now with that being said, I've only got a few minutes um, left to kind of kind of go over um, a little bit more, there are different documentaries talking about Gertrude Banaszewski. There are other, um, you know, movies and and different things there. If you want to watch a really great um, depiction of this story. My favorite was the movie, An American Crime, uh, with, it was then Ellen Page, she is now Elliot Page, um, I can't remember who played Gertrude, I want to say Catherine Cannon, but I don't know if that's the correct name or not, but she plays, uh, Gertrude. Um, couple of, Scott Eastwood does a little, a little part, um, Jeremy Sumter, like, there's some good actors and in, in, in there that, that did some good work. So, um, but it's... The hardest scene for me to watch, um, was probably the soda bottle. Um, however, you know, all the other beatings and all of the other things that she went through were really rough, too. But for some reason, that bothered me. I think probably because of my history with, um you know, sexual abuse, um, and rape, but, you know, really great movie, um, if you want to watch something about this case and, and do your research. Now, I'm going to post some pictures on the site. If you have any questions, concerns, comments, whatever about this case, um, please email me at at gmail.com You can, you know, put something on the pictures that I'm going to put on Facebook or Instagram, um, or even just send me messages through the Facebook group. So, um, if you have anything else, you know, just let me know. I'd be more than happy to, to, um, check out some different cases that you might have for me. And I hope you guys really enjoyed this one. Cause this was a, a bit of a doozy. So, um, I don't know. Let's see what I've got in store for the next one. So, Hope you guys enjoyed, and I'll see you on the next one.